Could you use a victory, even a small one, in your life today? B.J. Fogg, the author of the New York Times best-selling book, Tiny Habits, joined me last year to share his insights on building habits that develop behavioral change. This is your host of Health Views with Deb Friesen, MD, bringing you the best of moments from that interview. I hope you enjoy this abridged podcast and learn how to celebrate actionable routines and simplified choices. Let's check out today's view. On today's episode, I'm excited to sit down with my guest, Dr. B.J. Fogg. B.J. is the founder and director of the Behavior Design Lab at Stanford University, where he directs research and innovation. B.J. studies human behavior with a focus on how to easily build healthy habits by tapping into positive emotion. In January 2020, B.J. published Tiny Habits, The Small Changes That Change Everything, a breakthrough New York Times bestseller which has given millions of people the confidence and hope to create happier and healthier lives with just one small change at a time. So so what happened that (laughs) you decided that the world needed a book on tiny habits? Yeah, it would have been nice if I'd written it then. But <laughs> yeah, the I felt that way. Book. It's like I wouldn't have had to take so many notes if you'd written it then. So, yeah. yeah. The book is a better book because I waited. But I think that at the time, Tiny Habits didn't feel like like it, it was something I was doing as a hobby. It wasn't a, an official. It wasn't part of my Stanford lab. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't. I didn't make any money from it. So it was like this hobby. It's like, oh, I'm coaching all these people in habits. And I used to laugh and say, this is a really sophisticated, time-consuming hobby, but I'm helping tons of people, so I'm not going to stop. And But there was a moment, uh, this was about three years ago, you know, and a lot of people said, where's your book? I want a book. I want a book. And I was like, eh, I'm too busy, and I'm doing all this other research, and I'm innovating in all these ways. And I knew how much work a book takes like this. And then one night I had a dream uh, that I was flying to give a keynote somewhere. And in the dream, something happened. I don't remember exactly what it was, but I was fully convinced that I would die in a plane crash. So in that dream and in the moment that I truly believed I was going to die, my reaction was not fear or anticipation of the pain or what would happen to my little dog or my partner. It was this deep sense of regret, uh, just and almost shame. And it's like, oh, my gosh, I have not yet shared this work with the world in a way that I really should have. And then I woke up from the dream and I was like, oh, my gosh, that was my reaction to dying. And in the morning, I told my partner, I said, Denny, uh, I had this weird dream. And my reaction was I was just deep, deep regret for not having written a book about behavior design and tiny habits. And then it was about two weeks later uh, that a person approached me, who's a book agent, who had done books for Dalai Lama and Desmond Tutu. And, and you know, I'd been approached by agents and publishers before, but the timing was right. And Doug, the agent, was a really good fit. So all of it aligned. And I was like, okay, boom, I got to prioritize this. I've got to pause things. I've got to just you know, do what I need to do to get this book together and into the world. So I just, I wasn't that eager. I mean, it, because it felt like a hobby and just something I was doing on the side. Yeah. And then it, I knew the, the other things I would have to stop doing to write a book, the research and the innovation. 
But that dream was very clarifying. It was that became the priority. There's no way I could deny that. I'm glad that happened because I'm glad to have your book. On the tiny habits side of things, in the tiny habits research lab, we have a medical doctor from the UK who is doing research on how to use tiny habits to help patients not use their emergency inhaler, so patients with asthma, but instead use the uh, the therapeutic one, the, the corticosteroid. I think I'm saying that right. You are. So well that done. So that one's really exciting because, you know, that habit of using the rescue inhaler, that is that wires in as a bad habit. There's reasons it wires in. So she is trailblazing, like, let's use the tiny habits method to help people manage their diabetes uh, in the way that's preferred rather than the emerge, uh, the rescue inhaler. So habits, are they just habits. a different form of learning? What is special about calling something a habit? Yeah, what a great question. And Deb, it's a really hard one, actually. Um, habit is an ambiguous word. Um, there is a use of the word, like in Stephen Covey's book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, where things like sharpen the saw and begin with the end in mind are not really habits as I define it. Those are general principles, general guidelines. But we use habit to mean those things. When I talk about habits, I mean a specific behavior, like pouring a glass of water before uh, before a chat like this, and you do it automatically. You do it without thinking, or fairly automatically. Uh, so you're not like deciding. You just going on autopilot and do it. So it's specific and you do it quite automatically. And that's that's how I define habit. Now they really matter, at least the specific habits, because if you have you know good habits or the right habits, it helps you be productive, it helps you be healthy, it helps you reduce stress, it helps you achieve all these things and it can feel quite effortless. And you're not making a big decision you're just doing things automatically. So you can achieve big things by designing the right habits into your life. And there's other reasons it matters, but in some ways that's, you know, that's way up there on the list. Is you can achieve big things by designing the right habits. And you can free up your cognitive load, that brain load that you have from decision-making and redirect it to things that you consciously want to have to think about instead of that background all the time when it isn't a habit. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's a really important uh, side effect of having it because, yes, you're exactly right. Can you talk about why removing that hint of judgment, even for ourselves, is so important as we approach habits? The, the bigger challenge that we all face, and it's cultural, uh, at least in Western culture, and it's probably universal, is how, how much people criticize themselves, how harshly they judge themselves. And it turns out that shame and trash talk, self-trash talk, and judging yourself harshly does not help you change. It feels like it does, and our culture sets you up to be hard on yourself. But that is not the best way to change. And in the book, there's a thread throughout every chapter, or this idea is threaded throughout every chapter, is you change best by feeling good, not by feeling bad. And that's what the tiny habits method is. So not only is it a way to design habits uh, reliably and form habits quickly, but that last part, forming habits quickly, depends 
and hinges on your ability to feel good about what you're doing. And so part of the Tiny Habits Method is learning how to recognize your successes no matter how tiny. And not only do you learn to do it for yourself, the better you are at that, the better you are at doing it for others and helping them feel good and wire in habits that help them. Um, and so in some ways, and I didn't realize this at the beginning, of course, Deb, and even when you came to my boot camp in 2014, it wasn't, I knew Tiny Habits was about increasing people's confidence that they could change. And I knew it worked at that point. I mean, I'd already coached at that point probably 20,000 people. Um, so I, I, I knew it worked, but it became clear later that, especially in, it's just crystal clear to me now. Tiny habits really is a method, yes, for creating habits, but it's some, it gives people hope. And that's the primary purpose of the Tiny Habits program today is to bring people hope and confidence they can change and some skills that they can change. And with that hope and confidence, then that opens the door. That's what becomes transformative. And that's really what the t- subtitle, so the subtitle of the book is The Small Changes That Change Everything. And boom, if you can give people hope, which is a type of confidence, then they react differently to so many other things in their life. And that's what changes everything. I agree. And I agree with that sense of hope that runs through there. And I think it's so needed right now. We're tired. We're having new behaviors all the time. We're dealing with new challenges. Um, I remember early on reading where people felt guilty that they weren't taking advantage of all this time to change their lives in a big way. And yet when you can help people with a tiny habit, all of a sudden, ah, I do get more confidence. Things can still change even within the constraints that we have right now. I know that you have the ABCs of behavior change. What are those? Okay, great. Yeah, ABC. I didn't design it to be ABC, but it just turns out to be that. So there's three parts to the tiny habits method. There's three hacks. Think of them as hacks. You're hacking. You're designing this new habit into your life by doing these three hacks. Let's start with B. B is behavior, and you take the behavior that you want to become a habit, and you make it super tiny. So, for example, uh, if I want to hydrate more, drink more water, uh, rather than saying drink a glass of water, drink multiple, the tiny version of that is simply pouring a glass of water. So you make it so simple that you don't really need any motivation. Um, And here on my desk, uh, I do have a glass of water with lemon and some mint in it that I got out of the garden. Next, you figure out where does this new habit fit naturally in your life? What does it come after? And that's the A. A can be for after, but it's also for anchor. So I, so you look for a routine you already do. And you say, well, where does pouring water, what does it come after? that I already do? Does it come after I start the coffee maker? Does it come after I start the dog? But in this case, it comes after I dial into a meeting or launch a video conference like what's done here. So after I launch a meeting, I actually go out to the kitchen, fill the glass of water, put on my desk. So there's the habit. After I launch a meeting, I fill a glass of water. And then, so that's A and B. And then C stands for celebration. There's the emotional component. So as you're creating the habit, what actually creates the habit, it's not repetition. If you look at the research, it does not support the idea that repetition creates habit. 
That's not true. And you can just look at the research people cite to see that they're confusing correlation with causation. What causes the habit to form is emotion. So the emotion you feel as you do the behavior is what wires it into our brain and makes it more automatic. So as I'm forming the habit of pouring the glass of water, uh, there's a technique in tiny habits we call celebration. So that's C. And it's something you do to cause a positive emotion inside yourself. So you are hacking your emotion. You're self-reinforcing by hacking your emotion. So you're not leaving the habit to chance of, oh, it's going to make me feel good or feel successful. You are deliberately causing yourself to feel this positive emotion, especially the feeling of success. And so that's the three hacks. You make the behavior super tiny. You anchor it to something you already do. You design it into your routine. And then you wire it in through this emotional um, hack that we call celebration. One of the other lines I took out of your book, um, and I wrote it down for myself, I thought it was so lovely, um, is that one of your goals is to strengthen others in all my interactions. And I have to say that I, I really feel like people listening to what you've shared today will definitely feel strengthened. They'll feel like they have some knowledge, which doesn't change behavior yet, but they have, if they apply it, it's a skill they can learn. And I think that you've given them hope. And Mm -hmm. again, I think that there's, there's joy that runs through everything that you do, BJ. So Mm -hmm. thank you for this conversation. I've really enjoyed it myself. Thank you. Well, I, I feel fortunate. And like I said, I feel, you know, the obligation to share and you inviting me and us doing this is exactly what I feel like I should be doing. So this is full life for me. So thank you. Thanks to my guests for joining me today. And thank you for listening to the Health Fuse podcast with Deb Friesen, MD. I hope you'll share this episode with colleagues, friends, and family members who are interested in diving deeper into meaningful and relevant health and wellness topics. I look forward to the next conversation and we'll share another episode of Health Fuse with you soon. Take good care. This podcast is for general informational purposes only. The discussion reflects the opinions of the speakers and is not intended to represent Kaiser Permanente policy. It does not constitute the practice of medicine, nursing, or other professional healthcare services, including the giving of medical advice. The content is not intended to be a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. No doctor-patient relationship is formed. The use of this information is at the listener's own risk. Listeners should not disregard or delay obtaining medical advice for any medical condition they may have and should seek the assistance of their medical professionals. Mm-hmm.